Our subject is a spokesman for God. We have read some exciting scriptures. Let me just refresh your mind again. 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Be ready always. Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. All of those scriptures include every one of, the, of us here today, not just the pastoral staff. We all are ambassadors for Christ. There is nothing more important in this world than for men to be saved. Nothing. It is more important for you to be saved than it is for you to eat today. We can give men food for their bodies, and they will die. But we can give men food for their souls, and they will eternally live. Jesus said in John 3, 7 to Nicodemus, Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. Fulton Sheen, the great bishop of the Catholic Church, before he died, made this statement. He said the most needed emphasis in the world today is this. You must be born again. Dr. Wilbur Smith told this story in a meeting I was at in Portland, Oregon years ago. The great Wilbur Smith preacher of our generation. He was talking about his first parish, which happened to be back on the eastern seaboard, Ocean City, Maryland. His father had come down from Chicago to pay him a visit. His father was a godly merchant in the Windy City. Wilbur pointed out to his father a Methodist minister in town who was very, very active in the prohibitionist movement of that time. Wilbur said to his father, noting this minister, there is a man who is dedicating his life to temperance and the prohibition movement. He felt the man was doing an exceedingly good deed. His father, who happened to be a member of the board of trustees of Moody Bible Institute, looked at his minister's son in his first charge and simply said, My boy, if every saloon in America were closed and every bottle of whiskey destroyed, men would still be lost and they would need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was wisdom. It's true if we could eradicate every evil of our time, 
we would still have to say, you must be born again. It is the greatest need and the most important thing in the world today. Now, most of you here believe that, right? I sense that, but I would follow with this question, then why are we not making this one of the driving forces of our lives? Why is it that so few of us bring people into a born-again relationship? Why is it that since we last met here, very few have shared their faith with another human being. We believe that it's the most important thing. We do believe that men are lost and must be born again. But yet, we do not become a spokesman for God as we should. If every professing Christian in the world led somebody to Christ today, and if all of those led somebody to Christ tomorrow, they would have to quit before dinner tomorrow because there wouldn't be enough people to win in this world. There are approximately four billion people alive right now. There are 900 million professing Christians in the world, just short of one billion. If those 900 million professing Christians would bring one to Christ today, that would be just about two billion. And if those two billion would do it tomorrow, that would be four billion, and it would be all over tomorrow afternoon. February 14, 1983. That's astounding, isn't it? Paul wrote toward the end of his life to his son in the faith, Timothy, second letter, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Perhaps he put his finger on it when he wrote to Timothy and said, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling. If we were to look at the bottom line of this thing of witnessing, would it be shame? Would it be timidity? Would it be that we are afraid to stand before men and say, I believe in Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God, the only answer for sin, are we ashamed? Paul said, be not thou therefore ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me talk to you first about witnessing and then about how in my message this morning. A witness is simply one who bears testimony. Who is the spokesman for God? You might say, well, the preacher, of course. Well, you're wrong, dead wrong, if you've responded that way. 
The big lie in the world and in the church is that spiritual warfare is to be fought by the ecclesiastical generals. I want you to know that there's never been a war in history won by generals. The wars are won by privates and corporals and sergeants. The infantrymen. They are won by people who will be on the front line, not by generals in the tents drawing lines on paper. The overwhelming majority of the members of the Church of Jesus Christ believe this lie. They say, after all, we haven't been to seminary. We don't know all about theology. They are the ones trained to do it. That's why we're paying them. The ecclesiastical generals. And they take our bulletin and look on the back of it and say, Wow, what a staff! All of those generals. We ought to win Sacramento by the end of the year with all those generals. I want you to know it'll never be done that way. The ministers to the ministers are here to equip and to train the saints for the work of the ministry. And it begins by being a spokesman for God. By the middle of the second century, one of the church fathers by the name of Tertullian could say, We are everywhere. We are in your schools. We are in your cities. We are in the country. We are even in your palace. We are in the Senate. We are more numerous than anyone. He wrote that to Rome. We are everywhere, he said. If the church would have continued to expand in the next two centuries as it had done in the first three centuries, the Great Commission would have been fulfilled. But something happened. The idea arose, let clerical George do it. We'll put robes on them. And we will equip them in the garbs of holiness. And they will win the world for Christ. But it didn't happen. With a few exceptions, a few revivals, a few times of refreshing from heaven, Clerical George has been running around pretending to be an army and has not won the world to Christ. As long as we are adding and the world is multiplying, it's obvious that we are fighting a losing battle. We've got to increase the army. We have to get more recruits to be spokesmen for God if we're going to get the job done before time ends? The answer is laymen becoming witnesses. People who will bear testimony wherever they are. In the book of Acts chapter 8, we find it following the martyrdom of Stephen. The first verse of that chapter says, and they were all scattered abroad, and then it adds these words, except the apostle. The scattered group happened to be what we would call the lay people. 
the church members. Verse 4 declares that they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. They, not the apostles, the people that the apostles ministered unto, they went everywhere preaching the word. It's the same feeling I get after a service like this when I see these doors open and hundreds of people are turned loose on Sacramento. And I see the cars going out of every exit of the parking lot, north, south, east, west. They're going everywhere. And I think, oh, God, what a powerful force if they will be spokesmen for God when they leave this property. What a power there is here today to influence not just tens and twenties, not even hundreds, but literally thousands and thousands of people. Will we do it? A man who was a prisoner of communism for 14 years stated that in the underground church in Eastern Europe, he never heard of any Christian who does not witness for Christ, not one. And every time they witness for him, they put their lives in jeopardy. Here we have all the freedom we need. We can talk to anyone, we can give them a Bible, hand them a tract, share a word about Jesus with them. There, if they do it, their lives are in jeopardy. They do it and we don't. Why? For them it's a life and death matter. They really believe that men are lost without Christ. And whether it costs them their life or not, they want to save another life from hell. And they're willing to lay their life on the line for others. Just like Paul in Romans 10 where he said, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. My heart's desire and prayer for my people, the Jews, that they might be saved. So often our heart's desire and prayer is for the new automobile, a better job, a companion, new clothes, a trip to Hawaii. When these people in Eastern Europe don't have any of that interest, all they're concerned about is the salvation of lost souls that they might be saved and find Christ before it is too late. Maybe we need a little more of the persecution. Maybe we, need, maybe we need a little more of the restriction that we might truly be able to evaluate what is meaningful and important and what is not. It is obvious that we're not getting the job done. So we come in our message series to this matter of witnessing. It's part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not an option. Ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. A witness. Some of you professional men who attend this church regularly have never been challenged by the work of the church. You have many challenges out there in the world and you come to the church and maybe you get the exciting news that you're going to be a parking lot attendant or an usher or a greeter and it just doesn't turn you on like the things that 
challenge you out there in the world, and if that be the case, I have news for you today. The most exciting work in the world is to be a witness for Christ. When you win someone, you will never be the same again. That's why many of our businessmen are frustrated with the church. They're not challenged by those, what they look at as menial tasks. To me, they're very important. And they are anointed ministries, but they've never been turned on to them because they've never won a soul to Christ, which gets you so tuned in and turned on to the gospel that you're willing to do anything. The excitement comes when you reproduce yourself in another. I was never so excited as when I became a father. This matter of reproduction is the essence of the gospel. We receive the bread of life. We assimilate it so that it may give us strength to reproduce ourselves in others. They may be able to say, I too believe in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a witness. One who bears testimony. I'd like to illustrate this perhaps with a picture of a fisherman. Those of you who have been here for a while know I'm not a fisherman and I've asked you before, don't ever ask me to go fishing. Just forget it. But invariably when I say that, numbers of men start asking me to go fishing. They're so ornery about it. But I won't go. I'd love to have your fellowship, but it's not for me. I'm not patient enough. I don't understand those stupid fish. I don't like that game. I never was really turned on to worms all that much either. But I know it means a lot to others, and I'm glad for you. Somebody needs to catch them. I'm just glad it's you. But this fisherman, he, he gets up at five in the morning. That's another reason I don't like it very well. And he goes out as the day breaks, and he's got these big hip boots on, and he walks out into the stream. He's an unusual fisherman because he sees these fish, these trout are going by, and he, he talks to them. He's got all this equipment, but he's just talking to the fish. He says, hey, fish, isn't this a beautiful morning? Isn't this a wonderful day? And hey, fish, I'd like to invite you to go with me to an aquarium that a friend of mine owns. He's a really neat fellow. His aquarium even has stained glass windows in it, and he does his fishing between 9 and 12 o'clock on Sundays, and I want to take you, and I'll come by with a bucket about 8.30 Sunday morning, and I'll put you in my bucket, and I'll carry you to the aquarium where my friend fishes. You really enjoy having him fish for you on Sunday between 9 and noon. You'll have the wonderful experience being in his aquarium, and he'll toss out the line for you. Hello, are you there?
Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. And we fish in the strangest ways. Hey, come to Pastor Cole's aquarium. He's a good fisherman. He really knows how to snag them. And if you'll just come, he'll get his hook in you. I'll guarantee you, just come to his aquarium. He does it all between 9 and noon Sunday. Sometimes he stretches it a little beyond, but most of the time it's in there somewhere. So will you come with me to the aquarium? No, I can't do it all. I thank God for those that have come and those that have been prepared and those that we catch. But 99 and 99 one hundredths percent of the work is done by you out there catching them, saying Jesus means something to me and he can mean something to you. Let me tell you about my best friend. You would think that fisherman I just talked about ready for an institution if you found him out there at five in the morning doing what I told you. And how much stranger it must look to God for us to fish for men the way we fish for men. A spokesman for God, I could be. Now let me help you with the how. You might want to write these things down. They could help you. They're practical. They're out of my own experience. I have found that if I'm to be a spokesman for God, I have to be Glenn Cole. I can't be Billy Graham or Oral Roberts or somebody else. I've just got to be me. Whether you like that or not, that's not the point. Be yourself is the first how to be a spokesman for God. It has been proven that effectiveness with non-Christians decreases with maturity in Christ. Let me run that by you again. It has been proven that effectiveness with non-Christians decreases with maturity in Christ. You see, these new converts don't know any better. They just go out there and say, hey, you know what happened to me? Man, I was lost. I was a sinner. I was a drunk. I was a waste. And Jesus Christ cleaned my whole act up. Let me tell you about it. And the people just stand there with their mouth open because they see it. They don't know a scripture verse. They couldn't tell you the Old Testament from the New. They don't know whether the epistles are the wives of the apostles or books in the Bible. They don't know. And they come and we say, now you've got to get into some classes, soul winning classes, and they're great. But they then get an idea, well, I better not talk about Jesus anymore till I learn how in the class. So they quit. And with the maturity comes a lack of being a spokesman. God made some of you shy and some outgoing. Thank him for whatever you are. You can love the world in a different way than an extrovert if you're shy. God will use you just the way you are. I remember the shell shock war veteran in a friend of mine's congregation who always had kids around him. He had candy in his pockets for one reason, and he would be giving them candy after church. And the pastor noticed this 
He had a need in a junior class of boys. He couldn't hold a teacher in there because they were so rowdy. And he saw this shell-shocked war veteran with these kids all around him after church. And he said, I think I'll give it a try. And he handed him a quarterly and said, I want you to teach this class of boys. And, oh, he said, me, pastor? I can't teach. But he said, I don't have anybody. Okay, I'll do my best. Next Sunday, the preacher went down into the basement to see what was happening. Wondered if he had blown the whole Sunday school. He walked up to where he could look in through the door of that class, and he saw a bunch of junior boys sitting on the edge of their seats with their mouths wide open and their eyes agaze at this new teacher. Not a wiggle coming from any of them. He told me, Glenn, I then looked at the teacher. He was teaching that day on Daniel and the lion's den. He said, it was unbelievable. He said, he was the lion and Daniel and God all at one time. He would roar like a lion and he would speak from heaven. And he'd roll on the floor and he'd lie down like he was asleep. That class doubled in a month. And those boys found Christ as their Savior. And they never had a problem in the junior class again. You think you've got problems? I can't do anything for God. Just be yourself. <laughs> I went to Bible college to learn that. But they never taught me. I found out later, after I tried some of Billy's sermon. Just be yourself, Cole. Uh... You're not like the evangelist I know. He just talks to everybody. He was sitting on a plane one day, and the seat was empty by him. And the person came in kind of late, looking for a seat in the plane, saw that one, said to him, Hey, is that seat saved? He said, Hey, I don't know, but I am. Sit down. I'll tell you about it. <laughs> Just be yourself. <laughs> and that passage in 1 Peter indicates the Lord will send them along. Give an answer to everyone that asks of you. It's not like you have to go out there and take them by the shoulders and put them up against the wall and shake them and say, Give some sense in your head. You need to be born again. He'll lead them to you. You'll know. Like the time I got on the airplane on a Monday morning, I said, dear, dear Lord, I'm so tired. Would you just let me sleep all the way back to the Midwest where I'm going? I'm fagged. Hmm. 
before we even got off the ground. This whack sitting next to me. I recognized needed Jesus. We got to talking and she started crying. I took her hand and we prayed and Jesus Christ was right there in those seats like he is right here in this place. On our way through the sky, that girl has written me some of the most beautiful letters. Where she is now in Washington, D.C., just got another one the other day. How real Jesus is to her. She said, I didn't know how you could preach. She asked for some of my tapes, so I sent her some tapes. She said, man, I didn't know who I was setting by. Met her. <laughs> she just wants to know more about Jesus. She wants the tapes every week now. So hi back there in Washington, D.C. You just have to be available. The Lord will do the rest and be yourself. Secondly, be willing to take risks. You see, we don't like to be rejected. Love rejected is a horrible thing. You reach out and touch somebody and they don't respond. That's one of the risks of being a spokesman for God. You don't like to be misunderstood. That's one of the risks. You don't like your reputation interfered with. You see, the devil gets you to thinking that they're going to think you're really odd if you talk about Jesus. Well, you've got to give up your reputation. Jesus did. He surrendered everything to win men. And you must too. 1 Corinthians 9.22 is one of the great statements of the Apostle Paul. I love it. He said... To the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. When I'm with the Romans, I'll be like the Romans. I'll risk my reputation with the Jews to be like the Romans and I might win them. And I think that's the way the church must be. We are not isolationists. We have to be willing to rub shoulders with the world and risk even reputation to bring them to Jesus. Are you willing? Thirdly, look beneath the crust of people. Get beneath the surface of a person. Underneath the surface is usually a sea of needs. Jesus did that all the time at the well. You remember in Sychar, this woman came wanting water he said, lady, I've got water to drink that you've never heard of. And he began to tell her all about herself, six men in her life. And now there was a seventh talking to her at the well, the one she needed. And she believed. Her need wasn't water from the well. Her need was living water from Jesus. And he gave it to her. And she went away on happy feet, proclaiming glad tidings. What about Zacchaeus? His need was deeper than just making his wrongs right, taking from people more than he deserved from their taxes. He needed a Savior. He needed a heart transplant. And so Jesus said, Zacchaeus, get down here. And he fell out of the tree, and he went to his home and had tea with him. And over tea, Jesus said to this little tax-collecting Jew, 
you can be born again. Me? Yes, you. And he was, and he did give back what he had taken wrongfully. There was a deeper need than what was on the surface. What about Saul of Tarsus, known as a persecutor of the church? People were afraid of him. Even after his conversion, they wouldn't receive him because of what they'd heard about him. Barnabas took him, however. But Jesus saw something in Saul, and on the road to Damascus one day, he got beneath the crust of old Saul. And Saul looked up and said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Became the great apostle of the church. Look beneath the crust. Somebody may knock on your door and pretend that they want to talk to you about your living room carpet. They're probably there because there is an unrest in their soul and they need to tell somebody about their deep need. And that's your opportunity to be a spokesman for God. Fourth, broaden your contacts. Stretch yourself beyond your Christian contacts. So often we say, bring somebody to the banquet that's unsaved or someone to the revival meeting that's unsaved. You say, I don't know any unsaved. That is incredible. They live to your left, they live to your right, they live across the street, they probably work in the same office you do, but you don't know them. You've never spoken to them. You're kind of a, I, I can't talk to them because I've been in church and I'm all holied up and I can't, can't lose this, so I'll just shut up. I'll sit here and do my thing. Reach out. Stretch beyond. Broaden your contacts. An isolationist view will never win the world to Christ. Five, be positive. Communicate enthusiasm. <laughs> if you go out with a dour look, forget it. Don't be defensive either. Truth doesn't have to be defended. Truth defends itself. I'll never argue about the gospel. It just so happens that I believe it with all of my heart. And I'll present it, but I'll never argue it. It's the truth, and the truth will win. Enthusiasm, Emerson said, Nothing great was ever achieved without it. You've heard the statement why he could sell a refrigerator to an Eskimo. Why? Enthusiasm. He could make you believe you needed it in an igloo. Somebody else said nothing is so contagious as enthusiasm. It moves stones, it charms brutes. Enthusiasm is the genius of sincerity and truth, accomplishes no victories without it. Someone else said, in things pertaining to enthusiasm, no man is sane who does not know how to be insane on proper occasions. That's great. You don't like to go to a church where there's no enthusiasm. There are churches around today where you can sit in a nice, very proper order of things and be very nice and quiet. But those churches, I found, are getting rather empty these days because we are looking for something that reaches beyond our heads into our hearts. And we're looking for enthusiasm with purpose because it means God in us. The word is entheos, God in us. Enthusiasm. Are you a spokesman for God? Are you enthusiastic about what he has done for you? 
And remember when dealing with the how of witnessing, however skillful you may become, nothing can guarantee conversion. Hebrews 7.25 says, Wherefore, he is able to save. And that helped me a lot when I saw that. My responsibility is just to witness, be his spokesman. His responsibility is to do the saving. I can't do that. Some plant, some water, God gives the increase. He is able to save. Remember that. Man's mind and heart is darkened to the hearing of the word of God. If your efforts seem to fail, keep trying. Darkness always has to give way to the light at some point. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says that the most important thing in our Christian walk is faithfulness. It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That's what God's asking. Just be his representative. Be his ambassador. As we read from the scripture today in Corinthians, be an ambassador for Christ. That's what he's requiring, faithfulness. Ephesians 2.1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Learn to rest your hopes for fruit upon the omnipotent grace of God. He will use the witness in his time and in his way. Now, I want to hurry to a conclusion by telling you a story in a little book by the name of the Christian World Pulpit. James Stauffer wrote the book. Mr. Stauffer was teaching church history in one of the seminaries in Great Britain, and he looked out at his class, and he noticed a man who was obviously much older than the rest of the students, and it made him curious. So he went to him and said, Sir, it, it's obvious that you're starting much later than most of the others. He said, there has to be a story behind this. Would you mind telling me why you're here? And he said, I'd be glad to. He said, when I was younger, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were godly people, but I rebelled. And I wanted out of it. And one day I packed a little bag and I left home. And I got on a train going to the big city. And I thought, I'm just going to live it up. I'm going to have fun. He said, I got off that train and I thought, well, what will I do now in the big city? Where can I be a good sinner? So he thought, I'll start at the theater. And on his way to the theater, he saw an old chum. This fellow was walking toward him and he stopped and greeted him. And he said to this fellow, telling Mr. Stauffer the story, hey, this morning I read a great verse. Let me share it with you. And he quoted from Romans 10, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He said, Isn't that a great verse? And with that he went on down the street. Here this fellow stood, watching him walk away. He said, I turned with those words ringing in my ears and got back on a train and went back to my hometown. And he said, when I got off the train in my hometown, I knew I was going to have to walk by the pub where my buddies were that I'd been reveling it up with before. And sure enough, there were six of them standing right out in front of the pub when he walked by. And he said he knew that he was either going to have to say something for God or it would be the end. So he walked up in front of them and he said, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And with that he turned and went home. And would you know that in three weeks, 
every one of those bodies was converted to Jesus Christ. He said, that's why I'm here. What a wonderful witness to the power of simple confession. When Jesus was born, the messengers were angels. And they said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Why do we hold it back? We are now his messengers. Good tidings of great joy, the best thing in the world, the best thing in the paper, the best thing on television, the best thing in town, the gospel of good news, good tidings, great joy. How can you hold it back? Once you taste it, You'll never be the same. An Englishman came to America for the first time. He'd never seen corn on the cob. And they're a little snobbish, these Englishmen, at first. And he went into a restaurant, and he looked and saw this guy eating this funny thing. He had it in his hands, and he was getting it all over his face. And he called the waitress over, and he said, In England, we feed that to our pigs. What's he doing eating that? Oh, she said, Sir, it's... Wonderful. You'll have to try it. Oh, he sat there a while, and everybody that came in was getting into this stuff. So he thought, well, what can I do? So she brought him a corn on the cob, and he watched, and he noticed they put butter all over it, made it good and messy, poured salt on it, and then just held it. So he did everything that they did, and he chomped it, and... It was like a light bulb came on. And he chomped some more and he devoured that corn on the cob. And when he finished it, he leaped from the booth where he was sitting and he ran over to the waitress and he said, Fill her up again! Fill her up again! I'll tell you this. When you taste what it means to give birth to be responsible for someone escaping the fires of hell, you will shout, fill her up again. Fill her up again. Ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts. You are an ambassador for Christ. Will you be obedient? 